0: You're listening to the Women's HealthCast, a podcast about issues and innovations in women's health from the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. I'm Jackie Askins. Who else remembers that middle school health class video about what to expect with our changing bodies? I remember leaving that video with a vague understanding of the mechanics administration, but also walking away with tons of questions I was way too embarrassed to ask. That's where Lauren Virilli comes in. Dr. Varelli was gracious enough to answer all of my period questions, like what happens during menstruation, what are cramps, are periods even medically necessary, and so much more. Dr. Varelli is a fourth-year OBGYN resident at the University of Wisconsin and a soon-to-be reproductive endocrinology and infertility fellow at the University of Utah. I want to thank Dr. Lauren Varelli for joining us on the Women's Health Cast to talk about menstruation. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. It's one of my favorite topics.
0: I am really looking forward to learning more about menstruation. As a person who has been doing it for a long time, I feel like I should know more about it than I do. So this is kind of a list of all of my embarrassing questions that I've always been a little bit too afraid to ask. I'm very grateful for a little bit of your time. Yeah, bring it on. So let's start with... Um,
1: what is menstruation? So how does it work and why does it happen? Yeah. So this is something that actually most women don't know. And when a lot, a lot of times when women come in to see the gynecologist, we sort of go through, this is what happens normally. And then this is where your periods have taken a turn. So... Essentially, what happens is that every month, um, the uterus and the lining of the uterus in a healthy woman of reproductive age is getting ready for a potential pregnancy. And this is a complex process and involves a lot of hormones, but it bases mostly around estrogen and progesterone. Um, So in a The perfect cycle, Um, the first 14 days is essentially dominated by estrogen, and estrogen prepares the lining of the uterus. It thickens it and grows it to be accepting what will ultimately be um, an egg. And at the same time, the ovary is selecting what will be their dominant follicle that carries the egg that it will ovulate. and so around day 14, um, there's a surge in estrogen, which then causes ovulation of this chosen egg. And then following that, um, the cyst that carried the egg actually transforms itself into something else called a corpus luteum. And what this does is this then produces progesterone, and estrogen to sort of get the lining ready for um, a potential pregnancy that hopefully that egg will become fertilized, roll down the tube, and implant into the uterus. And so during that time, the, the lining of the uterus um, becomes a little bit more vascular and um, gets ready for pregnancy. And then if no pregnancy arrives within those next 14 days, that, that original structure, that first cyst that brought us the egg, that was feeding the lining, it dies, and essentially all the hormones then um, regress, and the lining is no longer supported, and it sloughs off, and that's what a period is. And actually, as a woman is bleeding during um, those, you know, four to seven days of bleeding, her body's already starting the next cycle, it's already choosing the next egg.
0: Okay, so you mentioned four to seven days. So what is, I guess, what is the average length of... uh, the whole menstrual cycle, and then what is sort of an average length of bleeding time?
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, we're always taught that the menstrual cycle is about 28 days, so 14 days of that first period until ovulation, and then another 14 days waiting, um, you know, for the lining to accept the pregnancy. However, within a one week um, range of that 28 days, it can still be within normal. And then typically women will bleed anywhere from, um, you know, two to seven days. Um, I would say probably the average is four to five.
0: What, um, at what age, I guess what's the average age of the first period? For a person?
1: Yeah, so this actually varies based on your genetics, weight, how old your mother was, your environmental exposures, activity, and even race. However, in the U.S., the average age of the first period is 12. And then 95% of women will have their first period by the time they're age 15. So if uh, a young woman has not had her first period by the time she's 15, that's an age where we'd start to think about, you know, what are other, what could potentially be going. Going on.
0: Besides the, the bleeding that we've talked about, what else is happening in the body during menstruation?
1: Yeah, well, most most women you talk to would say a lot of a lot of uncomfortable things, um, and and most of this is hormonally mediated, or actually that hormones are even causing changes to other um, factors throughout uh-huh. the body. So. One common complaint women will describe will be breast tenderness, and this this has been correlated with um, that li- that rising level of progesterone we talked about that happens in that second 14 days, um, and then some other women may notice mood changes, cramps, headaches, um, some increased discharge in the mid cycle, and so it's important to know that the average women. Women will have symptoms um, related to menstruation or just before menstruation. But you know, somewhere between three to eight percent of women will actually have something called a premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is like PMS on steroids, and it's not normal. And that's when you have significant mood changes, anxiety, depression inability to live your life, do your job, take care of your children. um, And that actually can be a a real issue. Um, But the majority of women will have symptoms around their periods that they can tolerate, although they may not like. So if someone's
0: coming to you, they're 15, 16, and they haven't gotten their period, what's going on?
1: So the the first place to start and actually typically these young women will end up at their pediatrician's office and and most of them you know don't even know what a gynecologist is so by the time they come to see a gynecologist they've often seen a couple other physicians but um, even starting at with the pediatrician, you know, the first thing to do is is get a good history and a physical exam. The most common reason that a young woman has not started her period by age 15 is due to sort of constitutional um Growth delay. So someone who is very thin, smaller, and she not only has she not started her period, but everything in her puberty has is coming to her later. She's truly a late bloomer. Um, but then the reason that we want these people to be seen is even mm-hmm. if they look like a late bloomer, and you think that's the cause, and there's probably nothing going on, they're going to get their period at sixteen when their mom did. It's important that you rule out some rare causes of why someone would not have their period by fifteen. And those are things such as, you know, any anomaly of their reproductive tract. Do they have a uterus? Is everything functioning normally? Do their ovaries work normally to have their ovaries developed? Um, And then also extremely rare things like do they have the correct karyotype? Do they actually have a female karyotype? Um, So those are sort of the things that we definitely want to rule out, though we rarely see. So you mentioned some, um,
0: in addition to like breast tenderness, some cramps, some sort of lower abdominal pain that can accompany periods, what am I feeling when that happens? So, Unfortunately,
1: what that is, is usually it's just these small uterine contractions that are helping sort of push out, slough off that, that endometrium or the lining of the uterus. There is um, a substance um, called prostaglandins that is thought to be one of the bigger contributors to the cramping sensation. And actually, we use um, prostaglandins when we try to um, put women into labor and just soft in their cervix, so it's literally the same sensation as menstrual cramps in that early induction of labor. Um, one of the best treatments for cramps is just um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. Um, so ibuprofen and motrin are typically tend to be the best treatment.
0: I feel like I definitely learned, you know, cramps are normal, they're kind of expected. You know, take the ibuprofen and it'll get better. But how much pain during a period is too much pain? When is it okay to talk to your healthcare provider about whatever pain or discomfort you might be experiencing?
1: So it's always okay to talk to your provider and say, my periods suck and I need help. Um, and we get that complaint all the time. And, and anyone who's ever had a period can can sympathize with that. And it's similar to what we talked about before about PMS with mood changes and breast pain, um, some of that is is to be expected. And the same goes with cramping. But cramping that's debilitating where you can't go to work, you can't take care of your kids, you can't go to school, you can't study for your, your exam, that's too much. That pain um, is beyond what we would expect uh, for just, just menstrual cramps alone. What could be causing that much pain? So some women who have really heavy periods, um, may have an underlying disorder called endometriosis. And I know that's something that's been featured on the HealthCast before. Um, and and that may require its own workup. Um, other women will just have really heavy periods. So there's just more cramping that occurs to sort of expel that amount of lining and clot. Um, and and that can be part of it. And then there's a, another subset of women who just experience the pain differently. And so their their pain fibers are sort of... Um, set off a little differently than maybe, you know, their friend or uh, their sister.
0: You just mentioned heavy periods, and I've always kind of wondered what
1: constitutes a heavy period. So most women's periods will be the heaviest on days two through three. So day one tends to be just the start. Um, And then after day three, things will taper off Um, you know, out to about day seven. But as gynecologists, we tend to define excessive bleeding as soaking through like a super tampon or the heavy pad um, in under two hours and doing this for several hours in a row. So sometimes on your heaviest day, you will go through, you know, a large pad in two hours and feel like you're in the middle of a murder scene. But then the next pad should be four hours or six hours. But really what we think of as too much is when it's Every two hours, you're soaking through everything you have on for, like, several hours on end. And and that can be a life-threatening emergency. I mean, that's something that, that we want to see people immediately in the emergency room for. What makes that a life-threatening emergency? I guess occasionally, um, women can have structural abnormalities or abnormalities with their ability to clot that make it harder for their body to um, stop bleeding, and that's why we want—that's why we want to get get women in who are truly having um, very, very heavy bleeding.
0: What about irregular periods? So you talked about the average cycle length, you know approximately 28 days plus or minus a week or so. So with that information, what does irregular mean?
1: Yeah, so irregular periods are not uncommon both at the start of a woman's reproductive life and at the end. So early when she has her first few periods at age 13, and then later as she's transitioning to menopause closer to age 50, we'll see a lot of women's cycles become irregular. Like we talked about before, normal cycles about 28 to 32 days um, with some Intercycle uh, variability, but we recommend seeking medical attention um, to work up why your periods are irregular if you have fewer than nine periods a year um, or if you go three months without a period. What could be causing irregular cycles? So there's um, a multitude of conditions. I would say probably one of the most common ones is just a pregnancy that causes a missed period. Um, and then once we rule out pregnancy, we think about the the crosstalk between all those hormones I mentioned before and are they not communicating correctly. Um, there's a disorder called PCOS that can um, often be the culprit of irregular cycles. And then um, there's you know, quite a few other complexities with your hormone levels um, that can cause the signaling to go awry.
0: So what happens if your period stops and then you find out, okay, well, I'm not pregnant? What can cause amenorrhea?
1: Amenorrhea, um, similar to irregular periods, is more common early on in reproductive life and at the end of of your reproductive years. And this is because um, the hormones that are actually being produced in your brain often have this sort of immature communication pathway that's still getting developed in young women. And then when you're older, that communication pathway is also starting to not always be consistent. Um, But you know, in the middle of your reproductive years, there's a lot of causes of amenorrhea, and usually we recommend that women come in to get seen if they've had three months with no periods, and you know we're we're certain that we've ruled out pregnancy. One of the most common causes, and something that I've studied a lot, is um, sort of life stressors and sudden increase in exercise or significant weight loss. So there is something called the female athlete triad um, that can be commonly seen in a lot of endurance athletes where they will lose their periods and simultaneously actually start to lose um, bone mineral density. But this balance of you know, getting your period or not getting your period uh, is not just dependent on weight alone. And, it, and you know, it used to be thought that it was only the skinny cross-country runners who would uh, stop getting their periods during the season. But actually what we've found as we've done more research is there, there can be subtle changes in stress or just energy balance in general that can cause amenorrhea or lack of periods even without losing, you know, 10 pounds. Other women may not have a period while they breastfeed, and that's common as well. You can actually um, suppress ovulation in some cases while breastfeeding. It used to be touted as a form of birth control, but it's a highly unreliable form of birth control. But some women will notice lack of periods or irregular periods while they breastfeed. And then Some women who had had a baby or maybe had had a procedure um, on the inside of their uterus can not resume having periods after that, and that can sometimes be due to scarring within the uterus. So for any of those cases, we recommend that women come in and that we rule out all of the potential causes. And we sort of think of it as like, are there hormonal causes are there structural causes of the of the lack of bleeding, or that and then are there sort of a whole other category to look into?
0: So you just mentioned periods after pregnancy. Um, breastfeeding can sort of suppress ovulation sometimes, and that made me wonder how our menstruation changes over our lifetime. You have uh, mentioned a few times that um, when you're younger, you know it takes a little time to get into a regular cycle, and I guess I'm wondering. If there are other times in our lives where our menstruation looks different, like after pregnancy, does menstruation change at all?
1: Breastfeeding after pregnancy, like I mentioned before, is one of the biggest culprits of abnormal cycles following pregnancy. However, you most women can expect to resume their prior cycles after having a baby, and so it really shouldn't significantly change what your period is like. Fibroids, which are um, smooth muscle growths um, either in the wall of the uterus or on the very edge or even inside the cavity, those can um, grow as you age. So sometimes women in their 40s or early 50s who've had a fibroid for, you know, 20 years, it may grow to a size where it's actually starting to contribute to some abnormal bleeding or heavy, heavier periods.
0: What about um, menopause, I guess? How do we know that menopause is coming or that we've hit it? So
1: menopause can be confusing because it's actually defined as sort of the one-year anniversary of your last period. So if you had your last period in October when you were 49, the next October when you turn 50, that's actually when you hit menopause. It's that year later. And one of the first signs of menopause is typically actually what we call vasomotor symptoms, so hot flashes and night sweats. These are the most common side effect of menopause or or premenopause and perimenopause meaning approaching menopause the other clue that menopause is on its way is that your cycle length Um, may become longer and then actually in some cases it may become shorter but sort of the irregularity of the cycle length and this is due to the fact that those hormones that originate in the brain and and make their way down through the ovary are not um, they're not as well oiled they're not working as well um, as they were when you were 25.
0: So I know another reason someone might not get a period is because they're taking a birth control that kind of suppresses menstruation. And that always brings me to the question, are periods medically necessary?
1: So this is something um, that we get asked sometimes, but I think it's something I find myself explaining to patients even without them asking me, which is that there's sort of a lot of different Forms of birth control, but a hallmark of most birth controls is um, that hormone progesterone that exists in the second phase of the menstrual cycle, like we talked about before. And so, if you are on a birth control that exerts its um, contraception by giving you progesterone, then um, you do not need to have a period. And in fact. The way that birth control pills were first made, women and their husbands were really uncomfortable with not having a period because they always were worried that they were pregnant. And so they actually created that one week where you don't take um, the progesterone and you get what's called a withdrawal bleed, just so that women felt more comfortable with the idea that they still were having a period. But there's absolutely nothing mm-hmm. medically necessary about that one week off the hormones. And so some birth control methods are better at suppressing your bleeding altogether. So um, IUDs that contain progesterone that that work right at the mm-hmm. level of the uterus, they don't go in your mouth and through your bloodstream, through your liver. They, they just work right uh, locally at at the level of the lining tend to be a better option for suppressing periods. And then there's other types of birth control that still allow uh, for periods. And I would say the most common would be the copper IUD. Mm -hmm. So there's absolutely no hormone in a copper IUD. It does not work by suppressing ovulation. Women who use the copper IUD, they cycle. Whatever their hormones are doing on their own is completely unaffected by the presence of that copper IUD. So some women who like the idea of not having anything touch their cycles, think that, you know, a copper IUD is a really good option.
0: I want to close with my favorite urban legend. then you hear it like in every girl's dorm floor in every college. If women spend a lot of time together, if you have a really like tight knit group of friends, do their menstrual cycles start to sync up?
1: Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you asked this because that's something in college I definitely thought was true, and I feel like it was true. I feel like it happened to me and, and my friends, and I was also a college athlete, so I had the dorm, I had the locker room, all these places where you could possibly have menstrual synchrony, which is what it's called. And, in fact, this was an idea that was— uh, Brought up in actually the 70s, and it was published in a scientific journal called Nature, the concept of menstrual synchrony, that that women's hormones will start to cycle together if they live together or, you know, are on the same um, sports team. And following that initial article, there was several other studies done that essentially debunked the myth. So it has technically been disproven um, as early as, I think, the early 2000s when there was a review that looked at a lot of literature about menstrual synchrony. But I, you know, I can't say that I didn't feel like it was really true when I was in college. So I would say the jury's still out, but probably there's no science behind it.
0: Good to know. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Verley, thank you so much for sitting down with me.
1: Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Listen in to the
0: next Women's HealthCast for a conversation about why healthcare providers should integrate the principles of reproductive justice into their contraceptive care practice with Leanne Jordan, Director of Doula Services at Maroon Calabash. Leanne and I spoke at the first-ever Wisconsin Contraceptive Care Summit, a conference aimed at helping women's health providers learn hands-on contraceptive care skills through a reproductive justice lens. The Women's HealthCast is a production of the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. You can subscribe to the Women's HealthCast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter... Instagram, and Facebook at WISCOBGYN. Please let us know how we're doing, rate and review us in your podcast app, and let us know what women's health issues you'd like to learn about. Thanks for listening.